What an amazing year. I encourage you. Uh, last week, we unpacked and shared. If you weren't here last week uh, and you haven't heard our yearly theme and our focus, it is Renew 22. I know that rhymes. That's just the things preachers do. It's a catchphrase. It makes me remember it. Hopefully makes you remember it. Our verse is Isaiah 40:31. We're going to renew ourselves. We're going to run and not get uh, weak or weary, and we're going to walk and not faint. Uh, we also use the Romans verse about Romans 12, 1 and 2, of renewing our mind, transforming and not being conforming. I encourage you, too, if you're a Facebook uh, person, or even if you're not a Facebook person, our, our online and for our online community, you can check that out. If you happen to miss a message, uh, you can just Google it. It will come up online. You don't have to actually be a Facebook person to watch anything that's public. And uh, you can catch that there. And I encourage you, if you didn't, if you weren't here last week or you didn't watch online, do that to kind of know the directions because there's some things. We're going to renew our, our focus on discipleship. We're going to renew our focus a lot into our community partners. And quick plug for that, uh, we have an opportunity. You guys have an opportunity. Some of you have already volunteered. One of our community uh, partners is Compact Foster Care, where I also uh, have a position there and help the community out. And once a month, they host an event for all of the foster parents. It's about 20, 25 parents. And the churches that support them, we float from church to church. We haven't done it in two years because of COVID, but Tuesday night from 6 to 7, we're going to be hosting that event here in our fellowship hall. We're going to provide a meal. There's going to be a, a brief little teaching lesson for the foster parents, but it's a really good chance to see what Compact does. We do need some childcare, and we've got some help serving food. But it's really a good time of fellowship. So if you can help out, a lot of you responded to our church site, our Facebook site. If you can help out and would like to be a part of that and great serving and giving back, just let me know after service and we can plug you in for that. So today, this past week, we've been following the church calendar. This is our third year preaching through the lectionary. Wednesday was Epiphany, Epiphany Wednesday. And if you know your church history and calendar, the Epiphany was the wise men coming to see Jesus. It's the first manifestation of that. It's kind of tied to the Gentiles because the wise men came from afar to see Jesus. And this being the first Sunday after Epiphany is traditionally the baptism of our Lord, the baptism of Jesus. So we're going into the water today. I hope y'all don't mind getting wet. You know, some people don't want to get wet, but some people are okay with that. And I know we've come from all different backgrounds. I want, I want to kind of set this uh, clarifier that what I've tried to do and I, what I always try to do, and I hope, I hope you know and believe this, is to truly stay true to Scripture. And so we're going to look at the baptism of our Lord in Scripture. We're going to look at some other verses on baptism. And I'm giving you the Scripture for your consideration because we have to be true to the Scripture. You know, I, even I... You know, all of us in all of our different walks, whether it's theology or not, we all come to the table sometimes with some certain biases, whether we've been brought up this way, that way, what tribe, what, you know, flavor, what denomination we are. I encourage you to look at the scripture and you may hear me say this again. You've heard me say it before. One of the best interpretations for scripture is scripture. To look at the scripture and see what the scripture says consistently through the word of God. So that's my intent. That's my heart today. Uh, if something seems a little biased, I don't mean it to be. 
but I just want to lay the scripture out there. We have two passages that we're going to start in, like we do an Old Testament passage and a New Testament. We're going to look at Isaiah 43, 1 through 7. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. Thank redeemed. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters... If you don't know this, water is throughout Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. It is such a symbolic reference. I will be with you, and when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you. Have you ever thought about God talking to you that way? Think of that. Let me say that again. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, another important phrase, called by my name, the name of Jesus, the name of God. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and I made. So God has from the get-go this relationship, this intense focus on making us, making people his mindset, okay? Acts 8, 14 through 17. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria, Gentiles, non-Jews, no history, heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God. Notice what they did first, accept the word of God. They sent Peter and John to Samaria, two really heavyweight apostles. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers. Look what they prayed for. That they might receive the Holy Spirit for the whole, because for the because the Holy Spirit had not had yet not come, had not yet come on any of them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John put their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when we get to unpacking, you're going to see that through the New Testament, it goes different ways. And some people won't acknowledge that, but again, we're going to talk about the Scriptures. We're going to preach the Scriptures. Luke 3, 15 through 17 and 21 through 22. We get a little foretaste of what John was doing, and then Jesus comes to John. Verse 15, the people were waiting expectantly and all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. The Jewish people knew a Messiah was coming, This guy out in the wilderness that's looking wild and crazy and baptizing people in the water, into the water, left and right, they think, hey, is this the one of old? Is this the Jesus? Is this the Savior we've been promised? They were wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them. John sets them straight. I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. 
Skip down to verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Notice you got to catch that language there too. Think about what the scripture said, like a dove. Not necessarily a dove, might look like a dove, but it was in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. So let's look at three applications, if you will, from these two scriptures. We're, we're going to go through a lot of scriptures. I, I pull these three applications from those verses that we just walked through. Number one, baptism is the symbol of renewal for a believer's salvation and conversion. Now, I want to be key on that. The key word you need to hear in here is not baptism, is symbol. Okay? Baptism is the symbol of renewal. You see how well this works with renew? <laughs> this, is, this is a year renewal. I pray we have renewal in every area of our lives. In our businesses, in our relationships, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our church life, in the life of Hot Springs, in the life of Garland County, in foster care, in taking care of domestic violence victims at the shelters that we support, in the homeless, let's have renewal. Number two, every New Testament conversion in Scripture is followed by baptism. There's a symbol going on here. Number three, even though there's many types of baptism today, the scriptural example, including Jesus's, is a baptism of immersion. This type of baptism clearly represents, here's why that fits. Here's why I think it's immersion. Think about the death, the burial, and the resurrection. When you do an immersion baptism, you are dying to self you are buried in the water, and there's nothing magical about that tank over there. That water over there will not save you. Only Jesus can save you, okay? But when we die to self, we confess our faults, and we're going to get into that. There has to be a confession. There has to be a repentance. But we are dead to our old self. We are buried in the waters of baptism, and we rise up new in the power of the Holy Spirit, that's the, symbolic, that's the symbolic power of baptism. Death, burial, resurrection to a new life with a new walk in Christ. Let's look at some scriptural examples of New Testament baptism, if that's, if that's the model. Acts 2.36, the classic one. Peter, you know, this is where Peter, they're waiting in the room. The Holy Spirit has fell upon the apostles. And it starts taking over with them. And Peter walks out. There's a gathering outside of some 3,000 people, and Peter starts to preach, and he, preach, he preaches the, the sermon of sermons. He basically tells the gospel and tells it so vividly and personally from his experience with Jesus. Verse 36, let all Israel be sure of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, even preaching bold there, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, look at what they say. Brothers, what should we do? You could say, how can I be saved? What do I need to do to be a believer? 
Verse 38, Peter replied, repent, turn from the ways you're living now, and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, why should we be baptized? What's it for? For the forgiveness of your sins. And then here's the promise, here's the blessing. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wow. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them. Look at this. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Somebody needs to be preaching that today. Amen. We got another corrupt generation going on. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to the number on that day. You know what I've always wondered just for fun? How long does it take to baptize 3,000 people? Pack your lunch, as I say. It's an all-day affair. And there were baptismal pools. I know church history, and some of y'all do too. Uh, baptismal pools were commonplace in Jesus' day. That's why it was so popular with John. But I mean, you, you know, you, you're going to have to call the volunteers and assign and delegate. Okay, you take this hundred and you take that hundred. You know, I'm having fun with it, but it, just shows, it shows the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ when it's preached and it's preached passionately. Acts chapter 8, Philip is preaching. He's out in a city and Philip, if you know, Philip is, he's a great evangelist. He's a great preacher. Verse 12, but when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God, you're going to find every time that baptism happens, somebody's preaching Jesus. Somebody's talking about the gospel. But he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Look at the response. They were baptized, both men and women. Philip gets supernaturally transported away, if you read that passage. And down in verse 35 of chapter 8, Philip began, he, he's on the road, and he sees a court official from the queen and a chariot reading ancient text, a eunuch, the Scripture describes him. And then Philip begins with that very passage of Scripture where the guy had his scroll open, and what does Philip tell him? Well, there's five points to you being saved. No. Well, to join this church, you have to do this and jump through these hoops. What does it say, church, that Philip told him? The good news about my church? No. The good news about Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. He came, he lived, he died, he rose again. And your sins can be forgiven if you'll accept him and confess with your mouth like Romans say. And then look where we go. As they traveled down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? He says, why can't we do it right now? And Philip says, he gave orders to stop the chariot. Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. Another case for immersion. They went down into, they came out. Okay. And Philip baptized him. Acts 16, Paul and Silas are locked up for preaching the good news. And they're singing and praising at the midnight hour. And God hears those songs of praise and he shakes the jail so much that the jail breaks open and prisoners are loose and there's a jailer there. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. You lose prisoners on a Roman watch, you're dead. He's not even going to wait for the punishment. He's going to kill himself, y'all. 
But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and asked. He asked the same question those 3,000 people did. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, and I love this passage because salvation to me is a process. And look at what he says do. Believe in the Lord Jesus. There's your first step, church. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And then they follow up. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God and his whole household. I'll tell you, when your family gets saved, it's worth shouting about. We need, we need more. I'm going to talk to the men. Not that you ladies can't do it because, in all honesty, the ladies are the glue. A lot of times it keeps the family's faith together. But we need some godly men to, 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 to take it urgently and passionately say, I need all my family going to heaven. I need to make sure my household, we need to proclaim Joshua, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's what that jailer did. So let's look at the types, not the examples, but the types of baptism in the New Testament. Being baptized and receiving the Holy Spirit occurred three ways that I can find in the New Testament. Number one, first being baptized and then receiving the impartation of the Holy Spirit at baptism, just like we read in Acts 2. They were baptized, and then, it, I'm sorry, Acts 8. He was baptized, and then they had the Holy Spirit. Paul's conversion, and I didn't give the scripture for that, but most of us know the story of Paul. Jesus meets Paul on the road, strikes him down. He's blind. He goes to a house and stays for a while. A priest comes. And they have a prayer, he makes a confession, and the next thing, Paul is baptized, and then we see the work of the Spirit take over Paul, who will write most of the New Testament and plant churches all over Asia. Power of the Holy Spirit. Second example we see in Scripture, in the New Testament, being baptized, as John's believers were, but then at a later date, receiving the Holy Spirit by laying on of hands. Here's an example, Acts 19, 1 through 7. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, look at this question, very telling. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, that's a case for receiving the Holy Spirit when you believe. And, and I'll unpack that a little more in a minute. But it's unique that Paul says, did you get the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no. I love this. We ain't even heard about the Holy Spirit. There's some churches out there like that, amen? <laughs> or they ignore the Holy Spirit. But he's a vital person. He's the, the Trinity, the third person of God. We, what baptism did, did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, and that is Jesus. On hearing this... They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul placed his hands, there's the laying on of hands, 
the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So you have baptism, then you have Holy Spirit, you have laid hands. Number three, you can have in the New Testament a direct impartation of the Holy Spirit, quote, falling down on people and enabling them with spiritual gifts and special abilities. Acts 10, Peter is called to a Gentile's house called Cornelius. Cornelius had a vision that he should call Peter. Cornelius is a non-Jew. Cornelius is seeking God, though. It says he was a good man. He gave to the poor, and he gave alms. While Peter was speaking, Peter's talking to the good news of Jesus. Watch this. The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who came with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Look at the language there, too. The gift of the Holy Spirit. What did Peter say to the crowd? Repent and be baptized and you will receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. I would love to have been there. I wish I was one of Peter's traveling people because you know why? Imagine Peter's expression. He's a Jew. This has only happened to Jewish people in him. Remember? They're waiting and the Holy Spirit falls on them. Okay? Can you imagine... Because Peter had a Jewish bias. You'll see that later. Him and Paul get into it over. He wouldn't even sit with Gentiles at one point. Peter had to be delivered from his bias. But imagine Peter seeing these people he thought were lost, and the Holy Spirit falls on them just like it fell on him and the other ten. It's an amazing thing. The circumcised believers, that means Jews, who had came with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Same thing. This, this technically, scholars call this, this is the Gentile Pentecost. This sets the stage for the Gentiles to come into the Jerusalem church. They're like, wow, they got the Holy Spirit too? Bring them in. And Peter makes the argument for him. He goes, well, they, they actually, the church leadership criticized Peter, and Peter basically takes the attitude. This was just like what we experienced, because it's J, James, it's all the leaders, it's the apostles at the Jerusalem council. And Peter basically says, how could I ignore what exactly happened to me is happening to them and tell them they don't count? And the Jerusalem council says, oh, you're right. If, the, if you and your witnesses watch the Holy Spirit fall on them, who are we to say God's not doing this? And Gentiles begin to come into the fellowship of the way, the church. Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit as we have. So here you have the flip. You have people, the Holy Spirit falls on them, and then they become baptized. This is just the scripture example. So he ordered that they be baptized, I love this, in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Three different types of ways. In my life, let me share my personal experience. I love the verse that says God wishes none should perish. And that God calls us to him. Think about your own conversion. Can I tell you this? And I believe this. When you begin to feel like you needed to renew, the Holy Spirit was at work. 
That's how God works. Maybe it was through a friend. I'll, I'll share. I wasn't going to, but I am going to. I was 16 years old. I, knew, I grew up in church. I had a drug problem. Mom drugged me to church every time the doors were open. All right? She did. I'm talking, some of y'all with me now, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. If you miss one, your salvation might be in jeopardy. It's like that old joke, I got to tell it, indulge me. Big line in heaven, miles and miles of line, people are waiting to get in. From the front, all of a sudden, there's a big wave of hallelujahs and shouting and everything. And down way at the end of the line, somebody says, hey man, what's going on up there? He says, oh, haven't you heard? Praise God, they're not counting Wednesday nights. <laughs> Isn't it funny what we put priority on rather than our relationship with the one and only Jesus? I knew I needed to be saved. God had been pulling at my heart. I'd lost a friend in a car accident, but I just couldn't walk that aisle. Didn't even want to do it in private. I know you find this hard to believe, some of you. I was a little rebellious at that age, 16, going on 17. There's a sweet man of God, a gentle man of God named Ted Kale, came to our church through a revival. And the preacher we had at the time, some of y'all grew up this way, just nod your head, don't amen it too loud. Nothing wrong with it, but he was true fire and brimstone. I mean, he would beat the pulpit and slam the Bible and the babies would jump out of the arms. That was who he had at the time. And he was very aggressive in pushing me. And I didn't remember that rebellious thing I said. I didn't like to be pushed. But this man, some of you know, I wish I was more like it. This man, for a southern phrase, is genteel. This man was meek. This man was kind and just had a peaceful spirit. And he asked one night of the revival, can I come to your house? To ask mom and dad, can, we come, can I come and have lunch? Yeah. And we're sitting there at the lunch table, and he says, so Mark, I want to talk to you. He says, of course, you know how the preachers, the preachers are your worst enemies in revival because they tell everybody who's not been saved, and that's the target for the evangelist, Right. He says, Mark, I know you grew up in church. Your mom and dad are great people of the church. Why is it that you're not saved? He said, and, and he hit me with one line. You know what the line that got me was? He says, can you give me one good excuse why you're not a child of God? And I thought of my friend that lost his life. I wonder where he was. I didn't know. And I had a, I had a nice 79 Mustang red four-speed, and I like to drive fast. Still do. And when Ted asked me that, that question, can you give me an excuse, I wondered if I was pushing that Mustang and rolled it, Where's the next place I would wake up? And I looked at him and I said, Brother Ted, I have no excuse. And he filliped me. Then what keeps you from being baptized? <laughs> and I said, nothing. And he said, can we do it now? I said, yeah, we can. But 
I want to call. We had a little country store down beside us, and sweet folks, they were basically my godparents. And I said, I want to call, I want them there. And just us and about five people in a little country church. And uh, I was washed by the water, started walking with the Lord, strayed later in life, but came back. Think, think of God working. That whole story is for, think of all the times. Most, most of us are mature Christians here. Have you ever sit and contemplated how God was working in your life prior to him calling and saving you? All the incidents, like I said, for me, it was that evangelist. For me, it was a life incident in my young age. Some of you, I, try, I tried to speak faith salvation to my brother. I have a younger brother, five years younger, for years. Got frustrated and quit. Sweet old lady saint of our church said, here's what you do. I just want you to pray. Pray for him. Pray without ceasing. I prayed. Do you know what happened? Within six months, God put this old godly guy on his shift at work that was like a father figure, and he just kept talking to my brother. And one night, my brother called me crying and said, can you come I need to be saved. God is at work by the power of his Holy Spirit calling us to him. And this baptism becomes a symbol of our surrender, our death, our burial, and resurrection on the way to becoming sanctified in children of God. Two more verses, actually three, but... I love these verses. Galatians 3, 26, 28. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself, put on with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, and slave nor free, nor male nor female, for you are all, what church? One in Christ Jesus. Paul goes on to reiterate that in Ephesians 4, 4 and 5. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were what? Called. When the Holy Spirit was working on getting you to God. One Lord, one faith, and look here. One baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. I'll sum it up with these two phrases in the scripture, and we'll be done. Baptism is a rebirth and union with Christ. And you've heard me say this before if you've heard my messages. The first step after belief is baptism. Sure, we confess that he is Lord and Savior, the true and living Son of God. The Holy Spirit works on us. Peter said what he said. Notice he said, repent and be baptized. There has to be a turning from our old life of sin, the old way that we are. There has to be some confession. There has to be some surrender. And baptism just happens to be a wonderful symbol of what Jesus did for us in his death, burial, and resurrection. Secondly, baptism is the symbol of renewal. It's the symbol of renewal in the life of a believer. But it's also... The presence of the Holy Spirit is proof of the Christian life. And what I mean by that? I mean, and this is bold and I've said it before, don't be baptized just to be baptized. There's some people going to hell wet. 
That's a strong statement. Because if that's all you do, and you're not equipped and empowered and plugged in, you can be baptized, and if you're not flowing in the gifts and the use of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's just dormant. There's a lot of Christians in name only too, amen? We see them all over social media. Baptism is a symbol, it's just a symbol of renewal. It's a symbol of surrender. It's a symbol of obedience. Jesus did it. The New Testament examples did it. And if we really believe he is the Lord and Savior, if we really believe his instructions and commands, we need to follow suit. But the presence of the Holy Spirit, that, that, Acts 19, that's where Paul's question comes from. Did you get the Holy Spirit? Did you notice he wasn't really all deep in on their baptism? He was like, are you guys familiar with the Holy Spirit? And they say, we didn't even know there was one. That's why Peter preaches that. You'll receive the gift. You'll be empowered. Because I don't know when somebody say amen, being a Christian is hard. It's not roses and comfortable. My Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous. But then it tags the end of that says that the Lord delivers us from everyone. Being a Christian in 2022 is hard. And you've heard me say this. It's going to get harder. From the governments now. I mean, I use it a lot as a reference, and I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but in China, we would be meeting in fear of the government coming in here, arresting us, putting us in jail, and maybe executing us in many other countries. We don't fear that here. But it's a, for believers, for, hey, let me, let me make it personal. For our brothers and sisters who are one in the Lord Jesus with us, it's a daily existence. If you hadn't prayed lately for the persecuted church, maybe that's a cue. Pray for the persecuted church because they are being persecuted. I'm going to close with one more scripture. This is from the New Living. I didn't tag it as New Living. 1 Peter 3, 21. I got to set it up because I didn't want to do the whole one. I wanted you to get the crux of this one. Peter again, who, think about it, Peter who's witnessed Cornelius, Peter who was at Pentecost, Peter who's seen all kinds of baptism, Peter who's seen all kinds of Holy Spirit impartations. He talks about Noah, and he makes an example in the verses above 21 about how Noah and eight people were saved, saved by water, inside. And then he makes this analogy, but I love this analogy. And I like these words, and I like the new living. That water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you. But then he clarifies, not by removing dirt from your body, not by taking a shower, not by getting in a hot tub, not by being in your bathtub. He says, it's, it's not this. It's not an everyday occurrence. Look at the next sentence. But as a response to God, a response to God from a clean conscience. You know how you get a clean conscience? You repent for what you did. Amen? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the holy, gift of the Holy Spirit shall be yours. It's the response to God 
from a clean conscience. And I love this. This last sentence. Well, this last sentence is the mic, mic drop. It is effective. Here's why we do it. Here's what's behind it. Here's the way. It's effective because of what, church? The resurrection. Our Lord lives. Amen. If Jesus has not risen from the dead, if he's not ruling at the right hand of God, doesn't matter what we do down here. But the truth of us who believe on him is he is risen. He is at the right hand of God, and he is coming again to claim those that he's called and purchased and loves. So the question for you is for me at a 16-year-old. Where are you today in your spiritual walk? Do you need to go into the water? Do you need to confess that he is Lord, as Romans says? Do you need to repent and confess your sin and say, God, I am a sinner, and I accept the grace and the price and the death of Jesus to be forgiveness for my sins? And will you surrender in obedience and start the way to be, Jesus told Nicodemus what? You must be born again. Where are you? And be thinking, just as we're talking renewals and since we talked of households, think of your family. Think of your children. Maybe think of your spouse. If they don't know Jesus, if they don't claim him as Lord, Tell them the good news, as we read. Tell them about the name of Jesus so that they, too, may be saved. Where are you this morning? Let's pray together. Father, your plan is always perfect. You gave us these examples, multiple examples, of the way that we come to you. And it seems, at least to me, I will clarify this, to me, it seems a pretty simple and easy process to have all my sin forgiven and then to live forever that whenever you call, this mortal body dies, but I don't stay dead, that you resurrect me, the same power, the scripture says, by the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, lives in us, and you will renew us, you will restore us, you will redeem us on that day, and we will be with you forever, as Paul said. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So, Father, I pray for the ones who don't know your name. I pray for the ones that we see responded. I pray that their hearts would be open to teaching. I pray that, God, the power of your Holy Spirit, like I said, is going ahead, maybe friend to friend, maybe family member to family member, maybe talking at work about claiming the name of Jesus, that we would be a people about sharing the good news and the name of Jesus. Because when the gospel is presented in its truest there has to be a response to either accept him as Lord and Savior or to say, not now, maybe a later time. But Father, in our planning network, we have a phrase, salvation hangs in the balance. We have lost a sense of urgency 
that people need to be saved. And as your people, as your disciples, as your sons and daughters, as your light bearers, as the ambassadors of Christ that we should be, may we be sharing the good news of Christ. Maybe we should be sharing his name with people that you put on our hearts. So whatever you need to do with us, Father, my prayer, I'll end this way. Renew us. Renew us with a focus to the heart of evangelism, to the heart of salvation, to the heart of how very much you love us and that you wishes none of us should perish. We pray this in the power of your son's name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.